السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد After the praise of Allah and salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we gather once again for a commentary of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as has been announced we will be reading the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu in relation to what's termed al-shafa'atul kubra or al-shafa'atul uzma the great intercession of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam the meaning and the topic will both become clearer as we read the actual hadith so this is a hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu from Sahih al-Bukhari and the hadith number is 4712 and for those of you who are following in the summarized version of Sahih al-Bukhari by Imam Zain al-Din al-Zabidi rahimahullah it's hadith number 1751 Bismillahirrahmanirrahim باب ذرية من حملنا مع نوح إنه كان عبدا شكورا إمام بخاري رحمة الله عليه relates this hadith under the chapter heading of the verse of the Quran because this is actually part of his commentary section so in the commentary of Surah Al-Isra under this verse Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi includes this hadith. So I won't spend too much time speaking on the verse, rather we'll just concentrate on the hadith. But just as a simple translation and meaning, the chapter is related to the verse of Surah Al-Isra in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ذُرِّيَّةَ مَنْ حَمَلْنَا مَعَ نُوحِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا That speaking of the later generations... Allah says, the, this is the progeny, these are the descendants of those whom we carried on the ship of Nuh alayhi salam, along with the Prophet Nuh. And then Allah speaks of the Prophet Nuh alayhi salam, إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا Verily, he was an ever-grateful servant of Allah. And this is the case with all of the messengers because of their unique connection and relationship with Allah, their creator, 
despite their achievements, despite their greatness, despite their closeness to Allah and their privileged position, despite all their beautiful and noble and sublime qualities, there is not a touch of arrogance in their minds, hearts, in their conduct and behavior, in their speech. Rather, they are forever humble and forever grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in that, there's a lesson for all of us. Now, this is the chapter heading, but the actual hadith, the very long hadith which we will be reading now, falls under this chapter heading. So, hadith number 4712. حدثنا محمد بن مقاتل قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا أبو حيان التيمي عن أبي زرعة بن عمرو بن حرير عن عمرو بن جرير عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال أتي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بلحم so with, the, with an uninterrupted continuous chain of narration from me to Imam Bukhari رحمه الله Imam Bukhari رحمه الله he says with his chain of transmission all the way to Abu Hurairah radiallahu and the famous companion. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu says, Utiya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bilahm. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was presented with some meat that was brought to him. فَرُفِعَ إِلَيْهِ الذِّرَاعِ So, the foreleg of the animal was raised to him. وَكَانَتْ تُعْجِبُهُ And it would please him greatly. فَنَهَسَ مِنْهَا نَهْسَةً So he bit a piece of that foreleg. ثُمَّ قَالْ Then he said, so, we relate this hadith from Sahih al-Bukhari, narrated by the companion Abu Hurairah radiallahu who describes the background to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's long hadith. And when did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam mention this long hadith about his great intercession on the day of reckoning? It was on the occasion of a meal. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was seated with his companions at a meal and some meat was brought to him. And from the platter of food, from the meat, he was specifically presented with the dhirar, the foreleg of the animal. And then Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu continues, وَكَانَتْ تُعْجِبُهَ minha nasa That the foreleg of the animal would please the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What he means by this is that Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam, when he came to meet they would eat camel meat and the meat of sheep and goats. 
And of the smaller animals, sheep and goats, the Prophet ﷺ specifically liked and preferred the meat of the foreleg. And this was quite well known about him. That's why Abu Hurairah says, And it would please him. So of all the cuts of the animal, the Prophet ﷺ loved the foreleg because of its tenderness and its lightness. And this was so well known that in the seventh year of Hijrah, when the Prophet ﷺ conquered Khaybar, One of the ladies there, she invited the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Unfortunately, she was sinister in her intentions. And she wished to harm him and in fact kill him. So she plotted to poison the food of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And before she invited him, she sent word and made extensive inquiries about the Prophet ﷺ's taste in food. So when she asked so many people, she was actually told that the... She specifically asked that which part of the goat does the Prophet ﷺ like? So she was told that he loves the foreleg, the dhira'ah. And when we say foreleg, we don't mean the whole leg. So the you have the shank, the lower part of the foreleg. And then you have the shoulder. But between the shoulder and the shank, the, the foreleg, that part is known as dirar. So he specifically liked that part. So the Prophet ﷺ's taste was well known and people reported to her that he loves the foreleg of the animal. So she prepared a goat and she saturated the two forelegs and the shoulder with poison. And then she presented it to the Messenger ﷺ. He took a bite and then he held the parts of the foreleg in his arm and he said, it's a long story, we don't have time to go into it, but he, he asked her, tell me, have you poisoned this? And she said, yes. And he asked her why. And she said, well, I judged that if I poison your food, if you are a prophet and messenger, truly, then you will know. And if you are an imposter, then we will be rid of you. So she then asked him that, how do you know? And he said, the peace itself informed me. So it was well known that the Prophet ﷺ loved the foreleg of the animal, and especially of the goats and, uh, of goats and sheep. So this is why Abu Hurairah also specifically mentions it here that meat was brought to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and part of that platter of food was raised to him and presented to him and specifically فَرُفِعَ إِلَيْهِ الذِّرَاعِ 
the foreleg of the animal was raised to him, and it would please him immensely. So the Prophet took a bite thereof. Then, after taking a bite of the meat, the Messenger on the table spread related the following hadith to his companions. Then he said, so casually, whilst eating, taking a bite of the foreleg, he said, I am the master of the whole of mankind on the day of judgment. On the day of resurrection, I will be the master of the whole of mankind. And do you know how this will be? Then he explains to the companions, how will he be the master of the day of judgment? Sorry, the master of mankind on the day of judgment. He says, يُجْمَعُ النَّاسِ الْأَوَّلِينَ وَالْآخِرِينَ فِي سَعِيدٍ وَاحِدٍ People will be gathered. The first and the last amongst them. في سعيد واحد on a single plane. يسمعهم الداعي The caller will be able to carry his voice to all of them and make them hear. وينفذهم البصر And the sight will encompass all of them. This hadith is specifically about the hereafter. It doesn't really speak of life on earth. We are speaking of the afterlife. We're speaking of the day of resurrection. What will happen on that day. And before I continue, I'd just like to mention that the affairs of the hereafter, everything related to life after death is part of the unseen, is part of the ghayb, which as Muslims believe, we believe in, and which is actually part of our test. These are matters of the faith and spirit. These are matters of the unseen. If we close our eyes momentarily, we become blind. We can touch. We can feel. We can grasp and probe. And even though we have the sense of hear, we still have the sense of hearing, the sense of smell, the sense of touch. And even though we still have the cognitive abilities of our mind, the momentary suspension of one faculty renders us ignorant and helpless. We don't know what we are feeling and touching. We become momentarily blind. We may leave our eyes open, still be able to grasp and touch and think, but if mo- and smell, but if momentarily our ears are plugged, 
properly. We are unable to hear. And that exposes us to great danger. The message is that despite having all these senses which are interdependent and which all collectively work to help us understand the world around us, understand our place in the world, to help us to navigate, to live, to survive, if any of these senses even momentarily is suspended, we lose our ability to recognize, to think, to to recognize, to understand, to comprehend. And that's to do with the world. So what's of the unseen? What's of the ghaib? What's of life after death? Where even the laws of this universe come to an end. It's a different universe. It's a different dimension. It's a different realm altogether. How can we understand that universe, that life, that realm, that reality with such limited (coughs) abilities, such limited senses and such a limited mind? We can't. So everything in the Qur'an and the Hadith, everything in the texts and scriptures of Islam which speaks of the hereafter is merely an approximation It's merely a method to facilitate our understanding, to help us understand, to help us draw an analogy. Recently, when they landed that probe, just a few weeks ago, on one of the asteroids... Till then, it was well known that throughout the well throughout the solar system, there are many places where water is to be found. In comets, on some asteroids, in certain on certain planets, and some of the moons of the planets of the solar system, frozen water. Until that moment, we're talking about till late 2014, it was always believed that the water was the same. It was of the same constitution. And just recently, with the landing of the probe, they've discovered that the water is actually of a different kind. So if the water of the world, of this earth, is not the same as the water on a single piece of rock hurtling through space, not too far from us, then how how can we compare the water of this world with the water of Jannah? The wine of this world with the wine of Jannah. The milk of this world with the milk of Jannah. The honey of this world with the honey of Jannah. But Allah says you will have water, milk, wine and honey. You will enjoy fruits. How can we compare the apple of an orchard here with an apple of Jannah? The name is the same, the words are the same, but the realities are completely different. All of this is merely an approximation to help us understand and to make some sense of 
life after death. And that will go for everything. So keep that in mind when we study this hadith. Some parts of the hadith may may appear to be quite simplistic. But they are not simple. This is, these are the words of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the hadith, simply to help us understand the hereafter. But the realities will be completely different. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, people will be gathered, the first and the last, on one plane, on the day of resurrection. And in such a manner that the caller, the herald, will be able to call out and speak to all of them, and all of them will be able to hear him. al basr, And the eyes, the sight, will be able to encompass all of them. What that means is, they will all be on one flat plane. The entire creation that has ever existed on earth is alive or will exist all humankind will be gathered on one single plane on the day of resurrection. Imagine. Then the Prophet ﷺ says, وَتَدْنُ shams," And the sun will come close. فَيَبْلُغُ النَّاسَ مِنَ الْغَمِّ وَالْكَرْبِ So people will be afflicted with such sorrow and misfortune, mala that they will not be able to bear it. They will not be able to withstand it. nor will they be able to bear it. So people will say, do you not see what has befallen you? أَلَا تَنْظُرُونَ Do you not see man, someone? Now before I continue, as I said, people will be gathered on one plane, the whole of mankind, and a single person looking will be able to encompass all of them with his sight. And a single caller will be able to let his voice carry till the furthest one amongst them. Now we can't understand this, but it will happen. And the earth shall come close. Sorry, the sun will come close. The sun will draw close, increasing its heat. And we learn from other narrations that people will begin to sweat and perspire. Now, when will this be? This will be when the whole of mankind is resurrected. And people will stand on the plane of reckoning before Allah. But the reckoning won't begin. People will still be waiting. And standing on that plane of reckoning, waiting for the judgment of Allah to begin, the wait itself will be torture. Mentally and physically, the sun will draw close, beating down on all of those in the plane of reckoning with its heat. And people will begin to sweat. And we learn from other narrations that people's sweat will flow from their bodies 
according to their deeds. So the more sinful a person is, the more accountable a person is to Allah on that day of resurrection and reckoning, the more their perspiration will flow. And it will actually collect and gather around them. So for some, their sweat and perspiration will be like a shallow pool of water, just up to their soles and their feet. For others, it will reach to their ankles. For others, it will reach to their knees. For others, it will reach to their waist. For others, because of their sinful and corrupt nature, their own sweat and perspiration will be chest height. And for some, it will reach to their mouths and they will be gargling in it, suffocating. Now again, this is something which we can't envisage, which we can't picture. But it's an approximation of the anguish and the misfortune and the agony that will befall us before our own deeds. And we also learn from some narrations that the heat of the sun will not affect the true believers. But they will still be disturbed. They will still be agonizing for the, because of the weight. And they, would, they will be wishing for the reckoning to actually begin. So people will say to each other, Do you not see what has befallen you? Can you not see anyone? Can you not see, do you not see anyone who will intercede on your behalf to your Lord? So this is the intercession, the shafa'ah. Now what's intercession? An intercession is when someone intercedes on behalf of another. The Arabic is very unique. So let me explain it from the Arabic perspective. Recently I did the tafsir of Surah Al-Fajr. Wal-Fajr walayalin ash wal-shaf'i wal-watr. By the daybreak and the ten nights and by the even and the odd. So watr, which can also be pronounced witr. Watr or witr means even. And shafr means, sorry, watr means odd and shafr means even. So one, three, five, seven, nine. All of these are Odd numbers. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says that in Allah witrun yuhibbul witr. Allah is one. And he loves the odd number. And in a hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa also says inna lillahi tis'atun wa tis'een asma that Allah has 99 names. This isn't exhaustive. He has more names. But the Prophet sallallahu speaks of 99 specific names. 99 certain names. So why not 100? Why 99? Again, it's the odd number. So, 
salah. We have maghrib salah, which is known as the witr salah of the day. And we have the three raka'at after isha, which is known as the witr of the night. So, this is the odd number, one, three. Witr means, or watr means odd. And shafr means even. Remember that, shafr means even. Now, in any situation, let's say you have someone who is in a powerful, influential, decisive position. And you have someone else who, for whatever reason, is subject to their decision. They are in an inferior position. They need this person's help. Or they need to be forgiven. So as an individual, he or she approaches this person who's in an influential, decisive position. And maybe requests something. But they are denied it. Or they seek forgiveness. Again, they are denied. So they feel powerless and helpless. So what do they do? They approach someone else for help. And they'll say, will you speak to this person on my behalf? Now whoever they speak to has to be someone who is in an influential position themselves and who has some standing with the individual who is to be approached. So the person says, yes, okay, I'll speak to them on on your behalf. Maybe a friend or a family member or someone influential, powerful, whatever. So the the third person approaches the first person and tells them that, look, the second person has been requesting that you forgive them. Please forgive them. Encourages them to forgive. Or they're requesting something. Please accede to their request. So even though the other person may have not been initially inclined to agreeing, Because of this second person's intervention, sorry, this other person's intervention, their encouragement, their intercession, they agree and they say, okay, for your sake, or because of you, fine, I'll forgive them, or I'll grant them what they want. So this other person, what they've done is that they've coupled themselves with the person who was requesting. So initially the person seeking the request was an individual, was alone. But they couldn't get their request fulfilled. So they added someone else to them. And they became a couple. So this is the meaning of shafr. Even, instead of being odd one, the other person by adding his or her word and his or her voice made it two voices, made it even. This is in Arabic, it may not be very clear in English, but in Arabic, this is why you call shafa'ah shafa'ah. It's when another person adds a voice to a single solitary voice. And therefore it becomes a double voice, two voices, even. So not one, but two. So from here you get the word shafa'ah. Shafa'ah yashfa'ah, shafa'ah shafa'ah, means to intercede. Now, normally in the world this happens. And in fact, shafa'ah is encouraged. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, مَنْ يَشْفَعْ شَفَاعَةً حَسَنَةً يَكُلَّهُ نَصِيبٌ مِّنْهَا 
whoever intercedes, a good intercession, then for them there shall be a share of it. We are encouraged to help one another. And if someone is in a position to help someone else by adding their voice, by giving their encouragement, then what harm is there if you have influence, if you have standing with someone and use that influence and standing sincerely and in a good way to assist and help someone else at no one's cost, then it will be an act of charity on your part and you will actually receive a reward of any good that's done. But at the same time, adding one's voice in sin leads to becoming burdened and carrying responsibility of part of that sin because the verse continues and whoever intercedes an evil intercession then for him shall be part of that burden so intercession has been encouraged and it happens all the time in the world and it will also happen in the akhirah in the hereafter so people will be standing waiting in a torturous agonizing, anguished state. And they will say, do you not see what's befallen you? Can you not see anyone who will intercede on our behalf to your Lord? And what will the intercession be? They, they, everyone will know why they are standing there. They will know that we have been resurrected. We are gathered here to be accountable and to be answerable to Allah. And... We await Allah's judgment. So the accountability, the standing before Allah, the reckoning, will itself be an agonizing prospect. But the weight will also be tense. And they they will be unable to bear the weight. So they will say, can anyone relieve us of this? Can anyone relieve us of this? Can anyone end this torturous weight? We want the reckoning to begin. It's like someone who's been charged. They are now on remand. And they've been charged. They await their trial. And the trial date hasn't been given yet. Strangely enough, everyone wants a trial to be over as soon as possible. And lawyers actually advise their clients and say to them that, look, don't worry, the trial date is close. It's going to end one way or the other. So, in fact, the thought of a conclusion to the trial and possible conviction and possible sentence, that even that appears to be more appealing at times than the uncertainty and the agonizing weight. And that's in the world, when a person is still, at times, at liberty to carry on doing whatever they want. Or even if they are on remand and in custody, they still enjoy all the amenities and facilities of being detained at their pleasure. And if that's the world, imagine the tense weight and the agony on the day of resurrection. People will want the judgment to be over and done with. They will want the accountability and the reckoning to begin. So they will actually be looking for someone 
to approach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to say to Allah, O oh Allah, end the agonizing weight of the creation and let your judgment begin. So they will say, أَلَا تَنْظُرُونَ مَنْ يَشْفَعُ لَكُمْ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكُمْ Can you not see anyone who will intercede on your behalf to your Lord, before your Lord? فَيَقُولُ بَعْضُ النَّاسِ لِبَعْضِ So some people will say to some, عَلَيْكُمْ بِآدَمْ You must seek Adam, the Prophet Adam alayhi salam. فَيَأْتُونَ آدَمْ عَلَيْهِ salam. So the representatives of the people will come in a great throng to the Prophet Adam alayhi salam. Why will they approach the Prophet Adam alayhi salam? Because they know that in this multitude of creation, for the shafa'ah, for the intercession, they require someone of standing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It has to be someone special who will intercede on their behalf. Allah is the king of kings and the judge of judges. On that day, all shall fear him, everyone. So who will approach Allah? Who will dare to speak to Allah? Let alone intercede on behalf of others. So people will say, we can't, we can't approach anyone except someone who is of great standing, someone whom Allah will listen to, someone who will have the standing and the closeness and proximity to Allah and the love of Allah to be able to actually speak before Him on this day. So people will say, that there can be no one except Adam alayhi salam. Why? He is the creation of Allah. Allah created him with his hands. Allah honored him. Allah made the creation prostrate to him. Allah settled him in Jannah. Allah blessed him with progeny and children. He is our father. Allah created him of his hand with his hands Allah blew into him of his spirit Allah made the angels and the rest of creation prostrate to him Allah honored him He is a father of the whole of mankind surely there can be no one better suited to intercede on our behalf on this day So they will come to Adam alayhi salam then they will say to him anta abu al-bashar You are the father of Mankind. خَلَقَكَ اللَّهُ بِيَدِهِ Allah created you with His hand. وَنَفَخَ فِيكَ مِنْ رُوحِهِ And Allah blew into you of His Spirit. This isn't actually of the Spirit of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself. This ascription to Allah, the Spirit of Allah, is an ascription of honor and dignity. Like Baytullah, the house of Allah. It's not actually the house of Allah, Rather, it's an ascription of honor and dignity, the house of Allah. So here too, the spirit of Allah is not the actual spirit of Allah himself, which he blew into Adam alayhi salam. Rather, it's a spirit which is, it's not divine in that sense, but it's attributed and ascribed to Allah and connected to him. So... And he blew into you of his spirit. وَأَمَرَ الْمَلَائِكَةَ فَسَجَدُوا لَكَ 
And he instructed the angels, so they prostrated before you. They prostrated to you. Now, I said earlier, the creation. The truth is that the angels, all of creation was instructed. Meaning, all of those who had the ability had been instructed by Allah to prostrate to the Prophet Adam salam. But since the best of creation and their elite was the angels, therefore the angels are normally mentioned. So having praised Adam salam and told him how great he is, what standing he has with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reminding him of his position, the representatives of the whole of mankind will say, O oh, our father, Go and speak to our Lord. To relieve us of this suffering. And to begin the reckoning. So they will say, Intercede on our behalf before your Lord. Do you not see what state we are in? Do you not see what has befallen us? Of misfortune and of sorrow, of anguish and anxiety of the torture of weight. These are my words, these aren't the words of the hadith. The words of the hadith are, Allah tara ila ma qad balaghana. Do you not see what has actually befallen us? فَيَقُولُ Adam. So Adam alayhi salam will say, إِنَّ Rabbi, Verily my Lord, قَدْ غَضِبَ الْيَوْمَ غَضَبَ This day has become angry in such a way and such an anger لَمْ يَغْضَبْ قَبْلَهُ مِثْلَهُ That he has never been as angry as this before. وَلَنْ يَغْضَبَ بَعْدَهُ مِثْلَهُ And never will he after this be as angry as this. وَإِنَّهُ نَهَانِي عَنِ الشَّجَرَةِ فَعَصَيْتُهُ And verily he, my Lord, he forbade me from the tree, but I disobeyed him. So this is a reference to the story of Adam alayhi salam, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, as is mentioned in the Qur'an in many different places, that, Uskun anta wazawjukal jannah. That, O Adam, you and your wife reside in jannah, reside in paradise. This shows that in Islam, we don't believe in the idea that the Prophet Adam alayhi salam was alone in paradise. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created our mother Hawa alayhi salam after Adam alayhi salam was alone in paradise, which is actually the biblical concept. <coughs> But the verses of the Qur'an are quite clear in their implication that Adam alayhi salam and our mother Hawa alayhi salam were both created before their entry into Jannah. So we told Adam that you and your wife reside in Jannah, in paradise. Paradise, the word paradise in English is actually an import of the word firdos. And I've mentioned many times before that 
the origins of the words can be traced. And in most languages, many of these letters are closely related. So, ba, sorry, P, V, W, F, they're all close to each other. And Firdaus, paradise is Firdaus. So, and Firdaus means, in Persian, originally meant garden. So, we told them, we said that, oh Adam, you and your wife live in Jannah, live in paradise, live in the garden, and eat thereof. And eat thereof at ease, from wherever you wish. But Allah also warned them. وَلَا تَقْرَبَا هَذِهِ الشَّجَرَةِ فَتَكُونَا مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ And do not even come close to this tree, lest you become of the wrongdoers. But Iblis, Shaytan, Shaytan caused both of them to slip. And he therefore extracted them and removed them from the bliss that they were in. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ascribes their slipping and their act of disobedience not to the incitement of Hawa, the mother, our mother. And Allah doesn't burden her with that sin and responsibility. Allah ascribes the leading astray and the misguiding and the causing to slip to shaitan. And he says shaitan didn't mislead her and she misled Adam. Allah says, فَأَزَلَّهُمَ shaitan That shaitan misled and caused both of them to slip. So Adam alayhi salam and our mother both disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that instruction. And it was a test. Some people still question that, what was so important about that one fruit, that one tree? That because of that one tree, Allah banished them from Jannah. And we suffer on earth as a result. The truth is, this is all to do with the unseen. We can't compare the realm of the unseen with what's observable and understandable to us. So let us not try to rationalize too much. As far as the unseen is concerned, we have to rely. A blind man walking along the road has to rely on a stick or a dog. And the blind man trusts the dog. A blind man's life depends on the dog. And the dog, being a guide dog, is honoured because it leads the blind man. So imagine, the blind man has all his senses. And it's also one of the just distributions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That if Allah deprives someone of one blessing, Allah compensates them with another, for that loss. So for those who are blind, 
who have lost their sight, all their other faculties are greatly enhanced since they are more dependent on them. So the hearing and the cognition and the sense of touch and the sense of smell, these other senses of a blind person are much more acute than most people. And the same, someone who does not have the sense of hearing, their sight and their cognition, their understanding and their other senses are far more enhanced because they are more dependent on them. So the blind man, despite having enhanced senses other than sight, is still blind and dependent on this dog to guide him. And he trusts the dog. We, we are blind as far as the hereafter is concerned. So the Prophet ﷺ says here that they will approach Adam salam and plead with him to intercede on their behalf. He will say, Allah has been so angry that he will never be as angry as this and never has he been so angry. And he prevented me from the tree, but I disobeyed him. So, he then says, Nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. Myself, myself, myself. Meaning, this day I am more concerned with myself. This day, my soul is itself in need of someone to intercede on its behalf. So people will approach Adam alayhi salam, so that he may intercede. But Adam alayhi salam will reply by saying, nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. But myself, my soul, my soul, I, my soul is in need of intercession. How can I intercede on your behalf? We learn in another hadith that the Prophet ﷺ says, people will be passing over the bridge. And the Prophet ﷺ will be standing there. And on that day, Kalamul Anbiya Allahumma Sallim Sallim. On that day, the speech of the Prophets will be, Oh Allah, save us, save us. Even the Prophets of Allah will be saying, Oh Allah, save us, save us. Sallim Sallim. Save us and save our people. So Adam alayhi salam will say, Nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. My soul, my soul, my soul. Idhabu ila ghayri. Go to someone else. Then he will recommend to them, Idhabu ila Nuh. Go to Nuh. Fayatuna Nuh. So the people will approach Nuh alayhi salam. Fayakulun ya Nuh. Then they will say, O oh, Nuh. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ أَوَّلُ الرُّسُلِ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِ الْأَرْضِ Verily, you are the first of the messengers to the people of the earth. Now, وَقَدْ سَمَّاكَ اللَّهُ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا And verily, Allah has named you عَبْدًا شَكُورًا A grateful servant. An ever grateful servant. إِشْفَعْلَنَا إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ Incede on our behalf before your Lord. Now before I continue, the Prophet Nuh alayhi salam, after Adam alayhi salam, they will go to the Prophet Nuh alayhi salam, and they will say, you are the first of the messengers to the people of the world. Now this sentence needs to be explained and clarified because there were other prophets السلام, between Adam السلام, and Nuh السلام. there were other prophets and messengers one two 
The wording suggests إِلَىٰ أَهْلِ الْأَرْضِ To the people of the world. And that word suggests that possibly Nuh salam was sent for the whole of mankind. Whereas that's not true. Even the Quran says Nuhan ila qawmih. We sent Nuh salam to his people. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a hadith related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim that I have been given a number of things. In one hadith, I have been given five things which no other prophet or messenger has been given before me. And one of them is, أُبْعِثْتُ إِلَى الْخَلْقِ In another narration, أُبْعِثْتُ إِلَى النَّاسِ I have been sent to the whole of mankind. And as, as Allah says in the Qur'an, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ We have not sent you, but as a messenger, as a mercy to the, all the worlds. And in another verse, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا كَافَةً لِلنَّاسِ بَشِيرًا وَنَذِيرًا And we have not sent you, but as a messenger, and as, as a giver of glad tidings, and as a warner to all of the worlds, to all of the people. And many of the verses of the Qur'an attest to this. And it's a belief of the Muslims that all of the Prophets, alayhim salam were sent to their individual nations. But only the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam was sent to the whole of mankind. So, what's the meaning of the sentence that, O Nuh, Allah, you are the first of the messengers to the people of the world. So, on both counts, he wasn't the first messenger. Other messengers and prophets came before him. And nor was he uh, a a prophet sent to the whole world. That was only applicable to the Prophet ﷺ. So, what it simply means is that he was the first great messenger after Adam ﷺ, and this is why he is referred to as a second Adam. Nuh alayhi salam is actually referred to as a second Adam in Islamic texts. So this is the reason why he is said of him that you were sent to the people of the world. I.e. he was the most important messenger and prophet after the prophet Adam alayhi salam. Then the people t- will tell him, وَقَدْ سَمَّاكَ اللَّهُ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا And Allah has named you a grateful servant. He was ever grateful. Now, for those of you, you may recall that at the beginning, Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, produces this hadith as a first hadith in the chapter, Bab, man hamilna innahu kana abdan shakura. Chapter of the verse of the Qur'an in which Allah says, speaking of the progeny and the descendants of those whom we carried with Nuh, إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدٍ شَكُورًا Verily, he is an ever-grateful servant. So what Bukhari has done, I've told you many times before, that Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, has a select collection of hadith, which in his view is the creme de la creme, the cream of the crop of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In his view, this collection of hadith meets his most stringent requirements of authenticity and reliability. For him, this collection of hadith is a peak of all the ahadith to be found, narrated from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And even though he considers other hadith to be authentic, 
for the inclusion of any hadith in this collection of Sahih al-Bukhari, he has the most stringent conditions. So even though he may consider the hadith to be authentic, if it doesn't meet his most stringent requirements, he won't include it. He won't include it in his collection. Then, with this few thousand hadith, what he does is that he's created books and chapters. And when he wants to prove any point in relation to absolutely anything, whether it's to do with wudu or salah or the hereafter, he won't produce any hadith, even though he considers it to be authentic. He looks only at this peak and elite collection, this select collection. And then, being the genius that he was, he is able to find the most obscure reference in the hadith in order to fit that hadith to the chapter and to the book. And that's why sometimes, here, this is a book of the tafsir of the Qur'an. This is in Kitab al-Tafsir, the book of commentary as part of Bukhari's collection. And this is part of the commentary of Surah Al-Isra. And in Surah Al-Isra, he mentions just one, uh, one of the verses, ذُرِّيَّةَ مَنْ حَمَلْنَا مَعْنُوحِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا Chapter of the verse in which Allah says, this is the, these are the descendants and this is the progeny of those whom we carried with Nuh. Verily, he was an ever-grateful servant. So Bukhari, with his computer of a brain, is able to find that one refer- reference of Abdun Shakur, a grateful servant, in this long hadith about the hereafter, and that's why he reproduces the entire hadith under this chapter heading. And this is the point of reference. Only this, only these two words are a point of reference in this entire hadith corresponding to the chapter heading. In any case, وَقَدْ سَمَّاكَ اللَّهُ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا And verily, Allah has named you an ever-grateful servant. إِشْفَعْلَنَا إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ Intercede on our behalf to your Lord. أَلَا تَرَىٰ إِلَىٰ مَا نَحْنُ فِيهِ Do you not see what state we are in? فَيَقُولْ So Nuh السلام, will say, إِنَّ رَبِّي عَزَّ وَجَلْ Verily my Lord, Almighty and lofty is He, exalted is He. قَدْ غَضِبَ الْيَوْمَ غَضَبَ This day is angry, such an anger, لَمْ يَغْضَبْ قَبْلَهُ مِثْلَهُ وَلَنْ يَغْضَبَ بَعْدَهُ مِثْلَهُ that he has never been as angry before, and he will never be as angry again. And verily, I had a prayer. I had a supplication, which I used and employed against my people. Nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. My soul, my soul, my soul. What does he mean by this? In a famous hadith related by many authors, from a number of companions, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, every prophet has one prayer, one dua, one supplication, which Allah will accept. And every messenger, every prophet. So the words of the hadith are, every prophet has one supplication, one dua, which is guaranteed to be accepted. And I have reserved my supplication and my dua for the sake of my ummah on the day of judgment. 
the other prophets alayhim salam. Now the question here is that the, the prayer of the prophets is accepted. But not the prayer, not every dua of a prophet is accepted. Not every dua of a prophet is accepted. Even the Prophet ﷺ, not every prayer and dua of his was accepted. So if our prayers aren't accepted, we should take solace and comfort in the knowledge that even the messengers of Allah didn't have all of their duas accepted by Allah. In his wisdom. Furthermore, the Prophets used their duas. Now the question is, we would assume that most most, if not all of the prayers and supplications of a prophet are accepted. But no, they aren't. So what's the meaning of this one dua? Of course, they wouldn't just have one dua that was accepted by Allah. There were many. So the simple meaning of this hadith is, which I've quoted, that although many, most of the duas of a messenger and a prophet were accepted by Allah, they had one most potent dua, which was the peak and the select dua and supplication of all of their prayers. And the messengers used in that dua. But the Prophet ﷺ says, I have reserved my dua, my special supplication for the sake of my nation, my ummah on the day of resurrection. So Nuh says, that I had one except I had one dua which I employed against my people. What's this a reference to? As is quoted in the Quran in the story of Nuh alayhi salam. Eventually, after inviting his people for such a long time, Allah granted him such a long life. And he invited, he called, he pleaded with his people, but they rejected him. They mocked him. Even his wife turned against him, and his son turned against him. His wife and his son rebelled against him. His wife used to call him a madman. His own wife called Nuh alayhi salam a madman. And his son and family, a wife amongst the family rebelled. Eventually, even the patience of the Prophet Nuh alayhi salam expired. And he cursed his people. He prayed against them. And Allah accepted his dua, which resulted in the deluge and the flood. So Nuh alayhi salam will feel the pangs and the pain of that dua on the day of reckoning. And he will say that I had one accepted dua and supplication, but I employed it against my people. And in another narration, in another narration it's not mentioned here, another reason is also mentioned for, Ad, for Nuh alayhi salam, which is, as is quoted in the Qur'an, when the waters and the floods came, Allah salam called out to his son and said to him, come, board with us. So Nuh salam's son rebelled against him and refused to join him. Nuh salam thereafter prayed to Allah for the sake of his son and said, O Allah, inna wa inna that my son is part of my family. And verily, your promise is true. That the promise you made to me that I will save and I will grant salvation to you and your family. So he said, O oh Allah, O oh my Lord, my son is of my family 
And verily your promise is true. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reprimanded Nuh alayhi salam and said to him, إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ أَهْلِكَ إِنَّهُ عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ صَالِحِ فَلَا تَسْأَلْنِي مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٍ إِنِّي أَعِذُكَ أَن تَكُونَ مِنَ الْجَاهِلِينَ أو Nuh, he is not of your family. Verily, he is an unworthy deed. So do not ask me of that of which you have no knowledge, lest you become. And I warn you, lest you become one of the wrongdoers. Oh, sorry, one of the ignorant. What that verse shows is that one's blood, one's lineage, will not save one on the day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not judge a person based on their connections, or their lineage, or their blood, or their family, or their supposed honor and dignity in the world. Each shall be judged independently, only by their deeds. Even the wives of the Prophet ﷺ were warned by Allah in Surah Al-Tahreem. And speaking of Nuh ﷺ, in that surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns towards the end, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, ضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مْرَأَةَ نُوحٍ وَمْرَأَةَ لُوتٍ كَانَتَا تَحْتَ عَبْدَيْنِ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا صَالِحِينَ فَخَانَتَاهُمَا فَلَمْ يُغْنِيَ عَنْهُمَا مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا وَقِيدَ ادْخُلُ النَّارَ مَعَ الدَّاخِلِينَ That Allah strikes a parable for those who have disbelieved of the two women of Nuh and Lut. They were both in the care and custody of two of our pious servants. So they betrayed them. But the meaning of betrayal here is... They betrayed them in disbelief, not in any other way, for it is a belief of the Muslims that the Anbiya والسلام, are such and their dignity and honor is so livable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that even though that some, like in the case of Nuh and Lut والسلام, their spouses, their wives could have disbelieved and betrayed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they still did not betray their husbands in chastity. So they may have disbelieved, but they were not unchaste. So the meaning of they betrayed them is that they betrayed them in belief. So they did not avail them of anything. Meaning the two prophets of Allah did not avail their wives of anything. And then in the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says... And Allah strikes a parable for those who believe of the wife of Pharaoh. And then in the next verse, or towards the end, and strikes a parable of Maryam, the daughter of Imran. So here in these final verses of Surah Al-Tahreem, Allah mentions four women. Two women who were the wives of two prophets of Allah, Nuh and Lut But when they, because of their own disbelief, perished, their own husbands could not save them or avail them in any way. And then there were two other ladies. One was the wife of Pharaoh. Even though her husband was the most rebellious against Allah, who challenged Allah in his divinity and claim to be not unequal to Allah and not only to surpass Allah in rank but he actually told the people of Egypt 
يا ايها الملا ما علمت لكم من اله غيري او ما اسمي اي دو نوت نو اوف اني جاد فور يو بيسايدز ماي سيلف سو هي اكشلي دينايد ذا الله سبحانه وتعالى اول توجذر ديسبايت بينج سوتش ا جريت ريبل الله ديد نوت جادج ليت الون بنيش هيز وايف بيكوز اوف هيم راذر الله غرانتد هير جنه So her husband was corrupt and the most corrupt of those who are corrupt and the greatest enemy of Allah on earth and yet for those who believe Allah uses her as an example that Allah judged her on her own merits by her own virtue Allah did not let the corruption and the sinfulness and the rebellion and the enmity of her husband affect her in any way as far as her judgment was concerned and the fourth lady was a woman who had no husband and yet through her worship her chastity and her piety allah elevated her she was a daughter of a prophet and the mother of a prophet maryam the daughter of imran and the mother of prophet isa alayhi salam so what these verses show and so to other verses of the quran but especially these verses that everyone is independent a husband cannot be judged by his wife a wife cannot be judged by her husband and none will do any good to the other unless allah allows and this is why we are all allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah al-baqarah ya ayyuhalladhina amanu anfiqu mimma razaqnakum min qabli an ya'ti yawmun la bay'un fihi wa la khullatun wa la shafa'a o believers spend of what we have bestowed upon you before a day comes which is the day of reckoning in which there shall be la khullatun fi la bay'u fihi wa la khullatun wa la shafa'a there will be no trade on that day there will be no bargaining on that day there will be no friendship on that day there will be no intercession on that day on earth we can bargain with people we can reach a compromise we can make offers we can pay our way we can buy ourselves out of a situation we can bribe we can threaten we can cajole we can plead we can appeal to sentiment and friendship we can get people to intervene and intercede but on the day of judgment allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says there will be no trade no bargaining there will be no friendship there will be no intercession so prepare for your own accountability spend of what we have bestowed upon you the message is we are all individually accountable for our deeds no one will help us now does this go contrary to what we've been speaking of intercession no because in other verses of the quran allah clarifies that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says يومئذ لا تنفع الشفاعة إلا من أذن له الرحمن ورضي له قولا that on that day no intercession will benefit anyone in anything except for one whom Allah grants permission to intercede and for whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives contentment to speak content and consent to speak so Allah will selectively allow certain people to intercede on behalf of others on the day of judgment. 
We will not be able to approach people and say, intercede on my behalf. The creation will approach the Prophet ﷺ for this purpose. But Allah will only allow intercession for those whom he gives consent to. And there are many. The prophets will intercede, the angels will intercede, the martyrs will intercede, the shuhada. And believers will intercede because of their good deeds. In fact, our good deeds will intercede. Our fasting will intercede. Our Qur'an will intercede. And believers will intercede on behalf of one another. But this will only be those people who will have some standing with Allah. And to whom Allah grants consent. And whose intercession He is pleased with. So for a person to be able to intercede... He or she must be of some standing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if on that day, Adam alayhi salam will say, Nafsi, Nafsi, Nafsi. Nuh alayhi salam will say, Nafsi, Nafsi, Nafsi. Who are we to hope that we will be able to intercede on behalf of anyone or that others will intercede on our behalf? What guarantee is there? People actually say to one another, do this for me and I will intercede for you on the day of judgment. Intercession apparently can be bought for a few pounds. So I was saying about Nuh alayhi salam, here it just says that I have, he only mentions one reservation of his in this narration of the hadith, which is that I had one prayer which Allah, which I used against my people. But in another narration of this hadith, authentic again, he also adds another reason, another reservation, which is, that I prayed for my son. Or I asked Allah about my son, for which Allah reprimanded me and said, he is not of your family. So this is where I uh, began discussing that part, that in Islam, even though he was the blood relation and the actual son of Nuh alayhi salam, he was of his blood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala severed that connection. Why? Because we may share the same blood. But that's not sufficient. What, who really belongs to us, who really close, is close to us, is the one who shares our deeds, our goodness. And when Nuh alayhi salam was, even though he was a father, his son rebelled against him. Allah told him he is not of your family. So, that's another reason. Then Nuh alayhi salam says, Nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. My soul, my soul, my soul. Idhabu ila ghayri. Go to someone else. Idhabu ila Ibrahim. Go to Ibrahim. Then the people will approach Ibrahim alayhi salam. And, as a summary, they will praise him. And then he will say again, this is not my position this day. Go to Isa. And they will go to Isa alayhi salam. And then Isa alayhi salam will say, go to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. All of them will say, this is not my position. This is not my task. I am not worthy of this. They will say, go to Isa, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When they will approach the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he will say, Ana laha, I am the one for it. I will speak more on this in detail next week, inshallah. 
I'll elaborate on this point, but the Prophet ﷺ, he is the person of praise. Allah will grant him the praise station on the Day of Judgment. Perhaps your Lord shall raise you to the praised station. And I'll elaborate on all of this next week, inshallah. But suffice to say now, Allah says in the Quran, Perhaps your Lord shall elevate you and raise you to the praised station. After Adhan, we pray to Allah. And as part of our dua, وَبْعَثْهُ مَقَامًا مَحْمُودًا الَّذِي And raise him to the praise station which you have promised him. What is that praised station? That praised station is الشفاعة Uzma, the great intercession of the day of reckoning. Why is it praised? Because the whole of mankind will run from prophet to prophet and say intercede on our behalf. Each will say, go to, Adam will say, go to Nuh. Nuh will say, go to Ibrahim. Ibrahim will say, go to Musa. Musa will say, go to Isa. Isa will say, go to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And people will be begging the prophets to relieve them by interceding on their behalf to Allah and to let the judgment and reckoning begin. And who will achieve that? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa When he will achieve that, the whole of mankind, believer and non-believer, follower and non-follower, those who loved him as well as those who hated him, those who praised him as well as those who satirized, lampooned, mocked, ridiculed or abused him, they will all praise him and be grateful to him and thank him for relieving them of that suffering on the day of judgment. This is the meaning of the praise station. Because he will receive universal praise. The Prophet ﷺ, everything about him was praise. His name is Muhammad, meaning the most praised. His name is Ahmed, meaning the one who praises the most. The meaning of Muhammad is, of the whole of creation, he is the most praised. By creation and by the Creator. And the meaning of Ahmed is, of the whole of creation, Ahmed is the one who praises the Creator the most. He praises Allah the most, Allah praises him the most. And the creation praises him the most. And on the day of judgment, as he says in another hadith, وَأَنَا حَامِلُ لِوَاءِ الْحَمْدِ وَلَا فَخْرِ On the day of judgment, I shall be the bearer of the standard of praise, and there is no boast in that. So he will be bearing the standard of praise, of hamd. And... Allah will grant him maqamun mahmuda, the praise station, which means that when he shall deliver the whole of mankind from their torturous weight, even before they have received their judgment, not knowing what will become of them, people will still praise him, thank him, and be ever grateful to him for relieving them of that suffering. Foe and friend alike, lover and loather alike, will praise him, he will receive universal praise. Everything about him is praise. So, and can there be light without darkness? Can there be day without night? Can there be life without death? Similarly, there can be no praise without hate. 
So let those who hate, hate. Let those who praise him, praise him. For every moment of the day. Allah subhanahu forget the create pe Muslims send salutations upon him. And let Muslims leave aside Muslims. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In Allah wa malaikatahu yasalun alan nabi. Verily Allah and His Messenger and His angels, they send their salutations there and their peace and their prayers to the Prophet. What bliss. It doesn't affect him in, in the least. It does not affect him in the least. So let us take solace in that. His whole life in the world and in the hereafter is all about praise. He is Muhammad the most praised. He is Ahmed the one who praises the most. He is the carrier and the bearer of the standard of hand praise on the day of judgment. And he will be granted the station of uh, he will be granted maqam al-mahmuda, the praised station. And what is the praised station? When he shall receive universal praise for interceding on behalf of the whole of creation and relieving them of their torturous weight. Everything about him is praise, nothing but praise. So inshallah, I'll elaborate on all of that next week. Come yourselves and invite others also. Sallallahu ala abdihi wa rasulih. Nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one double seven one three triple seven or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.